Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Pay-Per-View, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week and place events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. And the first subject this week is reading. This is in the Telegraph. Children could be less likely to take up reading as a result of an unfair and illogical tax on digital books. Well, it's not illogical once you know the agenda, which I'll get into. Children could be less likely to take up reading as a result of an unfair and illogical tax on digital books, publishers have said. Publishers Association, a leading industry body, warned that readers were being penalised for choosing to read e-books because digital editions are subject to VAT, whereas traditional alternatives are not. Stephen Latinga, the body's chief executive, said that the disparity is illogical and potentially damaging for new generations of readers growing up digital. Publishers want Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, to remove VAT from e-books, journals, audiobooks and digital news subscriptions as part of the next week's budget. All of the formats are currently covered by the levy. A new report by Frontier Economics and Economic Consultancy found that the move would cost the Treasury £210 million per year. Mr Latinga said children are digital natives comfortable with switching between print and digital formats. A significant proportion of children and young people now prefer reading on an electronic device. Getting kids to love reading is the key, and the way many want to read is now digital. We need to be doing everything we can to encourage reading and learning, whatever format kids favour. The opportunity to read on an e-reader or tablet may make the difference between children choosing to read or choosing not to. Digital books could help open a door to reading for some kids that have never been exposed to it or are growing up in homes that don't have any printed books. So taxing one form of reading over another is illogical and potentially damaging for new generations of readers growing up digital. Mr Latinga also warned that digital books were also vitally important for those with a disability or impairment. A Treasury spokesman said reduced VAT rates are applied to an extensive number of goods and services at a cost of over £49 billion last year alone, and careful consideration must be taken to ensure that we can continue to pay for our vital public services. Well, if you want a society of control, not just control of people physically, but control of information, because from information received comes people's perceptions, then digitising books would be a major goal of yours because if you can digitize the currently physical sources of information you can then edit, censor and delete that information to suit your agenda and that's the real reason for ebooks and digitizing physical information. Newspapers are increasingly online nowadays. I think the Express newspaper here in Britain is only online and this plays into this agenda as well because just as you would want to target books you would also want to target news sources for obvious reasons. We're seeing libraries closing and this is connected to this agenda to phase out libraries and physical books in favour of digital books which of course many kids prefer nowadays. Where this is going is all books published through corporations like Amazon. We started out as a million book publisher and now sells everything because it's all part of the agenda to corporatise everything and the agenda in the end is that Amazon will only publish books to either support the official narrative or don't challenge the official narrative. Amazon is becoming more and more selective about what it publishes already as it's moving in this direction. I've talked before about these Silicon Valley internet giants, these monsters like Facebook and Google, which owns YouTube, Google owns YouTube, and Amazon is a Silicon Valley monster in spirit, albeit not in location, because it's another internet giant behind this campaign of internet censorship of alternative information and monopoly on information. Once you have a monopoly on information and then you have the control over what information people receive, and more than that, what people perceive, which is the whole goal of the elite's agenda in the end, control of perception, because from that everything else comes. Therefore, the best way to challenge the elite's agenda is with information. A perceptual revolution is far more effective than any other kind of revolution. This article points out that kids could be encouraged because of this tax on digital books from reading digital books and they will instead turn to other interests like their smartphone or tablet, gaming, social media, etc. And so they're not getting the benefits of reading. And on that subject, here's a couple of articles from this week. 
This is in the Daily Mail. Parents fear screen time fuels children's inactive lifestyle. More than half of parents believe their children spend too much time sitting down because they're on devices like mobile phones or games consoles, a survey has suggested. Internet Matters, a non-profit organisation which helps families stay safe online, conducted a study ahead of the autumn half-term break. It indicated 54% of parents were worried that screen time was fueling their child's inactive lifestyle with more than a third, 36%, saying device use meant their children did not play outside enough. Parents were asked about their children's use of any connected device, which could be a mobile phone, a laptop or tablet. A survey of 2,022 parents in the UK indicated they worry more about exercise as their children get older. Nearly half, 49% of parents with children aged 14 to 16 were concerned about a lack of exercise compared with 31% of those with youngsters aged 4 to 5. The NHS has warned that a sedentary lifestyle can increase the risk of developing health problems such as diabetes, weight gain and obesity. Cancer Research UK said this week that children who spent time online are more likely to pester their parents for junk food due to exposure to adverts for unhealthy foods. Overall, the research showed 47 of parents were concerned their child spends too much time online. The survey found that 4 out of 10 parents said screen time was disturbing their children's sleep and 35% said it affected time spent together as a family. Caroline Bunting, Chief Executive of Internet Matters, said parents should not be afraid to have limits for screen time and set boundaries over their child's internet use. The amount of time that children should spend online is a big issue for parents and many were worried that too long watching screens may have a negative impact on their physical and mental health. She said there's apps available that encourage children to be active, which can be a great opportunity to share and learn about tech in a positive way and use it as a force for good. That's a good point because although I've talked about technology a lot on pay-per-view, I'm not saying technology is a bad thing. Technology has allowed us to do a whole variety of things that are important and convenient. The point is that what I am against is addiction to technology and the end game of the agenda behind technology, which I talk about in episode 11. That's what I have a problem with, not technology in and of itself. Technology just is. It's how it's used more than anything else. And another article here in the Telegraph. How to tell if you are truly addicted to your smartphone. Technology addiction is a recognized disorder now. Every week, Apple sends a shame-inducing digital wellness report to iPhone users detailing exactly how many hours they've spent hooked on their smartphones. It's designed, Apple claims, to curb our growing addiction to technology. Each notification and phone pickup call and message is recorded, as is the exact number of minutes spent on different apps. For those of us who rely on our phones or want to track our child's technology use, it can make for alarming reading. The problem with Apple's digital wellness report is that there is no pop-up warning label on the iPhone telling users that perhaps 18 hours on Twitter a day is at least five too many or that unlocking their phone every three minutes is ruining their life i mean how many times do you go out into a social environment or anywhere where there's a lot of people and you see the majority of them on their phones or those that are on their phones if it's not the majority they'll be on it they'll put it down and then a few seconds later they'll pick it up again because it's an addiction the article goes on it also doesn't let anyone see how they compare to anyone else no one is privy to the global trends that Apple engineers collect. Users are measured on their own prior behaviour with pithy messages such as you spent 26% less time on your phone this week. Is that good, bad or average? Well, it's good. And how much screen time is too much? The research here isn't clear. A study published in September by the University of Ottawa found children who spend more than two hours a day looking at a screen have worse memory, language skills and attention span. For adults, too much screen time has been linked to depression and anxiety. Yet a wave of new studies are challenging the long-held orthodoxy that screen time should be avoided. Some, it claims, might even be of benefit. 
According to Parenting for a Digital Future, a report from the London School of Economics published in March, children who consume digital media heavily aren't necessarily doomed to feeling isolated and depressed. In fact, smartphones can help to bring families together by allowing, for instance, parents to use messaging apps with their children. Well, if their child's not in the house, they're out somewhere, then fair enough. There are times when phones are necessary, but, but what about parents who use Facebook, for example, to message their kids when they're in the same house it's interesting isn't it people are quite happy to message each other or text each other endlessly some people are anyway but what's being destroyed is the art of conversation if people don't have anything to say in a social setting they'll just go on their phone well without a phone they'd have to improve their conversation skills but the phone's there as like an aid socially for some people according to parenting for a digital future They say that we found that parental concern about placing limits on screen time was far higher than concern about the nature of the content that kids were engaging with, explains Dr. Alicia Bloom-Ross, the paper's co-author. Instead of worrying about a set time limit, I'd encourage parents to think, are they learning? Is it helping them engage with their world? In the UK, guidelines set out by the National Institute for Clinical Excellence suggest there should be no more than two hours less of screen time per day for children of any age. In the US, it is recommended that under two should have no screen time at all. Thereafter, the maximum amount of leisure screen time should be two hours per day. There is no adult equivalent for screen time recommendation given to children, but experts say there are still ways to tell whether your smartphone use is soured. A red flag should appear when people think screens get in the way of their lives, according to Dr. Bob Patton, lecturer of clinical psychology at the University of Surrey. Apple's digital wellness reports could provide a wake-up call for someone that idly uses their phone all the time for no reason. The physical act of looking at a screen for long periods of time can have longer-term implications, but what you're doing on those screens is equally as important, Patton explains. He goes on to say we need to be mindful that just because we have tech doesn't mean we have to use it all of the time the article goes on the lack of mindful use of technology particularly among teenagers is one of the most worrying aspects of smartphone addiction a recent study found teenagers are spending up to 12 hours online a day mindlessly sweeping through social media without looking at any single piece of content for more than a few seconds adults too could fall into the same trap attention span is being reduced through use of technology the big difference is whether you're using it for what you want to or whether you're unconsciously using it all the time, says Professor Andrew Pertzabilski, experimental psychologist and director of research at Oxford Internet Institute. Professor Pertzabilski warns against buying into the moral panic against technology. In 10 years from now, we're going to talk about if artificial intelligence toys are going to be the death of friendship, he says. What we, Professor Pertzabilski warns against buying into the moral panic against technology. In 10 years from now, we're going to talk about if artificial intelligence toys are going to be the death of friendship. He says what we really need to be concerned about is not how much time we spend on our smartphones, but what we're using our smartphones to do. So shut off your phone when you sleep. Make sure your phone isn't stopping you from doing your job or the things that you love. And more importantly, don't think too much about the fact that Apple has managed to create the perfect edition, Aruboros. Aruboros is something that goes round and round endlessly, a loop basically, prompting users to check their iPhones to find out just how much they constantly check it anyway. Feedback loop, in other words. Well, when you put all this together, we're seeing childhood and children living an active, healthy lifestyle becoming increasingly a thing of the past as technology takes over. The difference between reading a book and an e-book in this regard is that when you're reading a book, eventually you get to a point, depending on how good the book is, where you think, right, that's enough for now, and you put the book down or back on the shelf. Whereas with technology, like smartphones and tablets, etc., you get addicted to it and you're glued to it. 
it has a much more addictive nature. You're far more likely, even with a good book, to be aware of what's going on around you and people talking to you than you are when you're glued to a smartphone or tablet. So kids reading a book are far more likely to get up and do something active when they've finished reading than they are when they're glued to technology for hours on end. The brain is a muscle, and the more you use it in a certain way, the better it becomes at being used in that way. Kids pick up vocabulary and language from reading. The brain changes in relation to how it's used. This is called brain plasticity. This is from an article on the difference between reading physical books and e-books. Would you like paper or plasma? That's the question book lovers face now that e-reading has gone mainstream. And as it turns out, our brains process digital reading very differently. Manush Zomorodi, managing editor and host of WNYC's New Tech City, recalls a conversation with the Washington Post's Mike Rosenwald, who's researched the effects of reading on a screen. He found, this is Manush saying this, he found like I did that when he sat down to read a book, his brain was jumping around on the page. He was skimming and he couldn't just settle down. He was treating a book like he was treating his Twitter feed, she says. The article goes on. Neuroscience, in fact, has revealed that humans use different parts of the brain when reading from a piece of paper or from a screen. So the more you read on screens, the more your mind shifts towards non-linear reading, a practice that involves things like skimming a screen or having your eyes dart around a web page. They call it a biliterate brain, Zora Modi says. The problem is that many of us have adapted to reading online just too well, and if you don't use the deep reading part of your brain, you lose the deep reading part of your brain. An American technology writer, Nicholas Carr, says that he has almost totally lost the ability to read longish articles on the web or in print from reading on the web, reading digitally. And I talk about technology changing the brain more in episode 21. This is what's happening now. People are losing the ability to take in detail and substance and to read at length. Everything has to be quick because the brain is used to processing and reacting to information and stimulus quickly because of people's constant use of technology. The tagline for pay-per-view is context and connections and understanding and seeing context and connections is essential to understanding the world and it takes substance, it takes time and if people don't either want to or no longer have the ability to process substance and read at length then they're never going to understand the world and if we don't understand what's happening in the world and the direction it's going and it's never going to be challenged from going in that direction. And the next subject this week is banking. This is in Telegraph. 13 million people in Britain have seen their local bank branch closed down in past 10 years, ONS figures show. 13 million people in Britain have seen their local bank branch shut down in the last 10 years, ONS figures show. Over 6,000 branches have shut since 2010, which is a fall of a third. Experts have said that banks and building societies have been shutting as more people use online banking and fewer visit branches. Cash points across the country are also closing. Figures from the link show that between January and August of this year, 1,400 free-to-use cash machines closed across Great Britain. I've talked about that before in episode 31. There are many people still reliant on traditional banking services. There are many people still reliant on traditional banking services who are at risk of being financially excluded by this alarming rate of branch closures, Gareth Shaw from Consumer Group Witch told the BBC. What Gareth Shaw won't realise is that that's why it's happening. He goes on to say, while banks should ensure there are alternative banking facilities in the area, we're told by consumers that these options simply do not offer the full range of services or convenience that a dedicated branch does. Mm. A UK finance spokesman said bank branches play an important role in local communities, which is why decisions to close them are only ever taken after all other options, like reducing opening hours and staff numbers, have been exhausted. Well, I've said before that there's varying levels of knowledge and most people in any organization or corporation or even in government or business or whatever 
have no idea ultimately why decisions are made and this statement from this UK finance spokesman is a classic in exemplifying that. The decisions are made because the agenda is that the bank branches will close for reasons I'll explain after I've finished reading the article. The article goes on. Fewer people are visiting banks. Visits have fallen by a quarter since 2012 as people do more banking online from home and on their phones, the spokesman added. UK Finance has promised investment in ATMs and mobile bank branches to reach out to more communities. Analysis by the BBC of linked data found that there are 63 parliamentary constituencies with fewer than five ATMs per 10,000 people. Well, bank branches closing obviously contributes to the Hunger Games Society, which I talk about in episode four, where there's a three-tier society. The elite living in mega, mega luxury. I mean, even more than they do now. Basically, if you're not them, they want your money too. The next tier is a brutal, psychopathic, eventually robotic military police force in total 24-7 surveillance. And then in the bottom tier, everyone else living in mega, mega poverty. A global three-tier society. Society is moving more and more in that direction, as I talk about in episode four. This article mentions online banking, which is a massive step towards the cashless society. There are obvious implications for freedom with a cashless society because if you go into a store and your card doesn't work for whatever reason, then you can still pay cash but not if cash no longer exists and anyone challenging or exposing authority and refusing to live life as a slave in a Hunger Games society. And the 1984 world, which I talk about in episode 4, will very quickly find they have a problem when trying to purchase anything. Total control, that's the idea behind the cashless society. The agenda is for global finance to be dictated from a central point via a world bank I know we already have a world central bank, but the idea is that through this world bank, all finance for every country will be dictated. Bank branches closing and ATMs disappearing is another sign that, as I've said many times before, society is agenda driven, not people driven. And the next subject this week is gambling. This is in the Telegraph. Record numbers of gambling addicts were hospitalised last year, new NHS figures reveal. Record numbers of gambling addicts were hospitalised in the NHS last year, figures reveal, amid calls for the £2 cap on stakes on fixed-odds betting terminals to be brought forward. Data released for the first time reveals more than 100 people were admitted because their pathological gambling addiction was so severe they needed hospital treatment. It represents a rise of 50% in just a year and is a dramatic increase from the handful treated in 2000 when the World Health Organization first recognized gambling disorder as a medical condition. Dr. Henrietta Bowden-Jones, the Royal College of Psychiatrists and founder of the NHS's only problem gambling clinic, said it showed the prevalence of gambling disorder linked to severe mental ill health was rising within society. Ensuring there's enough mental health provision to deal with those with a serious addiction is vital. If we're to treat people before they reach crisis, it is also vital we prevent people succumbing to a gambling addiction in the first place she said she goes on to say the data shows gambling disorder occurs in conjunction with severe and enduring mental illness such as severe depression anxiety or psychosis it comes as philip haven faces a growing political revolt by leading tories with all party support to legislate for the two pound cap on the states on fixed odds betting terminals in its budget or face a potential wrecking amendment being forced into the finance bill more than 30 mps and peers have backed the demand to cut the maximum stake from 100 pounds including ex-cabinet ministers Ian Duncan Smith and Lord Forsyth, Dr Sarah Wollaston, Conservative Chair of the Health Select Committee and Tory donor Lord Chadlington. The government committed in May to cut the state to reduce the risk of gambling-related harm but with potential tax revenues of more than £400 million. The Treasury signalled a delay until 2020 to allow the betting industry time to prepare. 
The politicians, however, point to a study by the Centre for Economics and Business Research which showed the Treasury could actually make up to £132 million from the move through gamblers turning to other products and higher taxes on other bets. The move was also backed by Tom Watson, Deputy Labour leader, Vince Cable, the Liberal Democrat leader, the SNP, the SNP, Scottish National Party, and crossbenchers including businessman and the apprentice presenter Lord Sugar and Baroness Howe, wife of former Deputy Tory leader Geoffrey Howe. Figures suggest that in the UK 1.4% of all gamblers become problem gamblers, whereas 11.5% of regular FOBT users go on to become problem gamblers. Crucially in our country, an estimated two people commit suicide in connection with gambling every working day, say the politicians. The rise in those needing hospital treatment is paralleled by calls to GamCare's helpline up 30% in four years to 30,000 last year. It is estimated 300,000 people in Britain have symptoms of gambling disorder, most of whom are men, with another 540,000 at moderate risk. Lord Shadleton said the government needs to act urgently and pay real attention to the impacts of gambling-related harm. Well, Gambling is being heavily promoted because of its obvious potential to contribute towards the Hunger Games society, which I talk about in episode 4. When you watch the sports channels, for example, and you see these betting adverts, nobody ever loses. How can that be fair advertising? Adverts are supposed to give an accurate representation of the product. Well, with betting, quite often, obviously, people lose. In some cases, quite a lot of money, but that's not reflected in the adverts. People only ever win. But only definition that's false advertising you watch a football match and the betting companies have advertising hoardings around the size of the pitch there's adverts for betting on social media you also now have smartphone apps so people can just pick up their phone and start gambling and betting of course because many people use their phone all the time anyway then they're lured into gambling more that way as well it's everywhere gambling is a feedback loop in the sense that gambling obviously contributes to creating the Hunger Games society, and the more the Hunger Games society increases from all the means being used to create it in society, then gambling will increase because one of the main reasons people gamble is debt, which doesn't make much sense because gambling is a way of getting into debt, but it's easy to see why people are attracted, especially now with all the promotion, and because there's this agenda for the Hunger Games society. More and more people have less and less money, so more people see gambling as an avenue of gaining more money. Talking of sport and gambling advertising, and the fact that according to these figures, an estimated 330,000 men in the UK have a gambling problem, it reminds me of a quote by George Orwell, which said, Football, beer, and above all gambling filled up the horizons of their minds. To keep them under control was not difficult. Now, of course... Not all men are like that, but there's a lot who are, and they're the ones more than any other who these adverts are targeted towards. I like watching football myself, but it's just a game. It has no impact on anything except itself in terms of the game. There's far more important things in the world, and if we're only focused on football, then we miss everything going on outside of football, or whatever sport we're watching, or celebrity, or whatever. However, one thing that does need to be said is what we're seeing now increasingly, talking of football and debt, is clubs with billionaire owners in manchester city's case team in the premier league in britain the top football league trillionaire owners and the clubs are charging increasingly high prices for fans to attend football matches and as long as fans keep buying into it as of course many will then it will continue increasingly now fans to football clubs especially premier league football clubs but others as well are customers not fans I've mentioned before a guy called Dr. Richard Day. I talked about him in episodes 17, 18 and 20. 
and he predicted the world and society today in 1969 with stunning accuracy. I don't think it was mere prediction, however, because prediction implies guesswork. And for reasons I explained in episode 17, he was in a position where he could have access to the projected agenda. One of the predictions Day made was that gambling would increase and that gambling laws would be relaxed, thus generating more gambling. And that's exactly what's happened. Because once you nail the agenda, then predicting the future is easy because unless anything intervenes to stop that agenda unfolding, that is going to unfold. Because, as I keep saying, society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. And the final subject this week is defense and robots this is in the daily mail defense report warns of future threats from robot warriors and conflict in space the world is becoming more volatile with increasing threats from terrorism climate change well i would say terrorism is overplayed in terms of its threat i talk about climate change in episodes 29 and 18 Well, I would say terrorism is overplayed in terms of its threat, and I talk about climate change in episodes 18 and 29. The world is becoming more volatile with increasing threats from terrorism, climate change, and a rapid advance of technology. That one I do agree with. A new Ministry of Defence report has warned. A document developed with experts from allies around the world examines potential developments including wars fought by robots or enhanced humans and the need for the government and military to respond. It warns of an increasing risk of the use of nuclear or chemical weapons and the potential for new areas of conflict including in space and cyberspace. The Future Starts Today report is an attempt to to identify the kinds of challenges facing the UK in the decades ahead. Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson said this report makes clear that we are living in a world becoming rapidly more dangerous with intensifying challenges from state aggressors who flout the rules, terrorists who want to harm our way of life and the technological race with our adversaries. I talk about Gavin Williamson in episode 31 and his proposals, crazy proposals, for guns on tractors, ferries, as landing craft, and missile systems disguised as lorries. I mean, the idea that Gavin Williamson is defence secretary shows just what a joke politics is. But he is right about the threat of robots and technology. The article goes on. He goes on to say, identifying these threats means we can continue to build an armed forces that can stay ahead of them. The article goes on. The document, the sixth edition of the Global Strategic Trends Report, has been developed by the MOD's think tank, the Development Concepts and Doctrine Centre, along with partners in Sweden, Australia, Finland, Germany, France and the Netherlands. It said, whilst it is envisaged that humans will continue to be central to the decision-making process, conflicts fought increasingly by robots or autonomous systems could change the very nature of warfare, as there will be less emphasis on emotions, passion and chance. Humanity, in other words. The article goes on. The report examined the possibility of human enhancement, including gene editing, physical and cognitive prosthesis, and pharmaceutical enhancement. Their development over the next 30 years is likely to offer profound expansion of the boundaries of human performance and the application of these technologies and the integration of human and machine on the battlefield present opportunities to enhance military capability. The willingness to adopt these technologies could confer a competitive advantage over adversaries, but moral, ethical, and legal thresholds would need to be defined. The report also suggested a hybrid approach could go beyond military or economic attacks and open up new arenas of conflict, including in space, cyberspace, suboceanic, and potentially augmented and virtual reality. 
In a bleak assessment, the use of weapons of mass destruction is also more likely because of increased access to the technology. The number of nuclear-armed states could rise and increasing investment in tactical nuclear weapons and electromagnetic pulse weapons will increase the risk that nuclear weapons are used, the report noted. And there's a section here in The Guardian, and Williamson is talking in more detail about the space side of what he was talking about, which is, he says here, we must make sure we are primed and ready to deter and counter the intensifying threats to our everyday life that are emerging in space. That's why today I'm announcing the RAF is taking the lead in this area and why we plan to increase the number of personnel covering space. Satellite technology is not just a crucial tool for our armed forces, but vital to our way of life, whether that be access to our mobile phones, the internet or television. It is essential we protect our interests and assets from potential adversaries who seek to cause major disruption and do us harm. Britain is a world leader in the space industry and our Defence scientists and military personnel played a central role in the development of the EU's Galileo satellite programme alongside British companies, so it is important we also review our contribution and how we plan for alternative systems in this crucial area. Defence Minister Yuto Beb, who is set to speak at the Defence Space Conference in London on Monday, will say space is a vital part of the British economy. With the launch of this strategy, he says, we are setting our aspirations much higher to ensure that our industry continues to benefit from this growth in satellite technology. We are investing millions into Britain's most innovative companies to help us launch forward in the space domain. Well, I'll get to why satellites are being put up in low orbit around the Earth, or one of the reasons anyway, that is not talked about here. But I'm going to talk about the robotic side first. The development of robots is not happening to help humans fight wars and to protect people. That's the cover story. The real story is to create robots controlled by artificial intelligence, which will be there to control humans and punish humans who step out of line. The elite's agenda demands a world army. Now, this might seem like a good idea, and it will be sold as a way of finally stopping war, an armed-to-the-teeth military, eventually AI military, ready to respond to any threat anywhere in the world. But the truth is that it will be there to impose itself on any nation or region in the end, or grouping who don't want to hand over, rule over their lives to the orders of the world government, dictating to the world army, dictating to the region or grouping stepping out of line. The idea is for AI and robots not just to be involved with the army, but to be fused with a privatised, corporatised police force to be the enforcement of the elite less than 1%. The deep deep state, living in the equivalent of the Capitol in the Hunger Games movies in the Hunger Games society I talk about in episode 4, which we are increasingly living in, and there will be an unelected world government representing their interests. Anyone who steps out of line will get the treatment from the AI military police force. Drones are all part of this technological robotic law enforcement, so just as on the ground there will be a robot army in the military police force, there will also be robotic enforcement in the sky, and probably from the sky as well. There's a great episode in series 4, Black Mirror, called Metalhead, which puts on display the kind of future we're looking at with robotic law enforcement. It might be asked, as I have in episode 9, why, at this time of law enforcement fusing with the military and becoming increasingly armed, do we keep having calls for gun control? Do we really believe that just because it's against the law, that criminals, I emphasise criminals, are not going to find ways to own a gun anyway, given that they are criminals and use them? I talk more about gun control in episode 9, but the question that needs asking is why now are we hearing these calls in places like America when the law enforcement is more and more armed to the teeth? I talk more about gun control in episode 9, but the question that needs asking is why now are we hearing these calls in places like America when the law enforcement there is more and more armed to the teeth? Well, there's two answers. One, to intimidate people into acquiescence to authority because of the consequences of stepping out of line. 
most people will acquiesce anyway to this robotic police military control force because it's a robotic police military control force. It's not ultimately for them, it's for those, and there won't be many of them who are willing to stand up for themselves even in the face of all this and are willing to try to regain some freedom over their lives. Those that actually care about that. If they do, they get the treatment. And this is a feedback loop because anyone watching that says to them, see what happens when you challenge us, so they become even more intimidated. That's the real reason for gun control, not to protect people. The authorities and government don't give a shit about people. It's not about protecting people, it's about controlling people because the elite's agenda in its entirety is about control. As well as a robotic army and a police military force, we're also seeing being built around as a total 24-7 surveillance police state, which kids are being prepared for in schools, as I said earlier. Smart technology takes the surveillance state onto another level. Smart dust nanotechnology will be able to know where you are at any moment. Smart dust nanotechnology will be able to know where you are at any moment. I'm almost certain most people have it in their bodies already, not least through chemtrails, which I talk about in episode 11. Smartphones obviously allow for surveillance and through tracking data. And social media obviously allows for tracking and profiling as the intelligence networks no longer need to spy on people to get information about people's lives and where they are at any given moment. Because through social media, people are now giving the authorities that information every day. It's worth pointing out also that anything smart can interact with anything else smart and what's being built around us is a smart grid. The combination of all smart technology with all information on people available wirelessly through all these different sources of smart technology and a total 24-7 surveillance network. And that brings us to one of the reasons satellites are being put up in low orbit around the Earth. Elon Musk, a tech investor and billionaire, was involved with sending up a rocket to cover sub-Saharan Africa in Wi-Fi to allow them to be able to access Facebook. The rocket exploded, and of course it was all over the news, but it gives you an idea of the far-reaching nature of this. And we're seeing an attempt to blanket the Earth with Wi-Fi fields, despite the numerous complaints about the health implications of Wi-Fi. Another wireless technology come to that. Because for this smart grid, also called the cloud and the internet, to be available everywhere, as is the plan, as I talk about in episode 11, then it has to be fired from satellite. And the real reason for the smart grid cloud, I explain in far more detail in episode 11. We're seeing this robotic police military control force building all the time, and we're seeing the police state and the surveillance state building all the time, moving us forward ever faster into the brutal, psychopathic, merciless world of the elite's agenda. And we either address that now so it doesn't go any further, in fact, we reverse it, or we allow it to happen and then have to live with the consequences of that for the rest of our lives. The children and grandchildren alive today and of future generations will live a daily nightmare to the point where having an actual nightmare will be seen as an escape. Hard choice, isn't it? But it's a choice only we can make. So that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the contest and connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.